you have a Bible today in order to read along with us, I want to encourage you to. We're going to take a very brief reading this morning from the book of Hebrews. Uh, The book of Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews chapter 2. I can remember the first time that I read this scripture and noticed it, I guess, or that it jumped out at me. I don't think I've ever preached on it before, but certainly the truth contained within it has been since emblazoned in my mind. And I hope today the Lord will help me to communicate that to you as he has to me. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death... He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That will conclude our reading this morning. The title of our message today is A Fear of Dying. A Fear of Dying. Three years ago, um, I was privilege to go to Ghana, Africa, as I have on many occasions, and um, I traveled to a part of the country that I had never been to before, and that was the city of Cape Coast. It's right on the coast of Ghana, as the name denotes, and there is something in that city that no other city I had ever been to in my whole life had, and that was a slave castle. You can go online and you can look. I believe it's called the Elmina Slave Castle. And um, Brother Todd Reynolds and I and Brother Frank D'Souza, we walked through that castle on a tour. And I guess the tour was probably about an hour long. And they took us to the various parts of that. And that was the day that Slavery was not just an idea anymore. See, many things in life, I think, that we look at and consider, we hear preach from the pulpit, we intellectualize them. In our minds, we imagine and we strive for understanding to Um, understand the different maybe power struggle and the concept and we talk in general terms but it is absent of flesh and blood it's absent of that thing that goes beyond your mind and makes you think in in terms of reality I would contend this morning that very often when we come into the house of the Lord, that's what we do. We hear these topics and they stimulate our minds to some degree and perhaps even make their way, depending on how you're wired and depending on the delivery of something, they even make your way into your emotions. And you might feel one way or you might feel another. But then there are times when for whatever reason you're driving down the road and you almost hit a deer 
or you do something and it becomes real. Death becomes real. Or whatever topic it is really enlivens in your mind and the fullness of the reality is communicated to you and it's more than just intellectual stimulation. It really takes over your person. And if you dwell in that place too long, it can, on any topic, not just that, as I was in that castle and we drove home, or we drove to the hotel that we stayed in and I was in the room by myself and I was imagining what that was like and that those were real people who had wives and children who loved, who desired all the same things that we do. I found myself fighting back tears because I was considering the reality of living and that hell on earth is the only way to put it. I pray this morning as we look to this scripture and as we consider the topic, you pray this morning that it is more than just an intellectual stimulation. Because there's nothing I'm going to say this morning that perhaps all of you have not thought before. There are things that you could probably go into greater depth with experiences you have and lost loved ones. And most of the people in this room have faced death in a very real way because when you lose somebody who is in your inner core, your mom or your dad or your spouse, a child, a grandchild, a best friend that you grew up with that was more than just a friend, death has this way of running through the course of your veins and enlivening you and getting you to consider things in life that are foundational to who you are as a person. And I'll say this morning that the desire of God when the message of truth is preached or spoken is always to get to the core of who you are. It's meant to reverberate down deep in your soul. And in response to that, it will actively change you and alter how you think and how you live life. And I'll say this morning, I believe a real consideration of death and the implications of facing death will change all of us because the lives that we're living and the things that we're doing are likely only with death in partial view or partial consideration. But if you're like me, when you sit at the foot of somebody's bed who is dying, man, you start rethinking your priorities in life. You really think about the deep things of life. You look inwardly and you ask that question, is this really the life that I want to live? Am I really doing this the right way? The reality that you only get one shot at life. That's a very sobering truth if you think about it. You get a lot of makeups and redos, late fees on if you miss a timeline that you can pay. But in life, you get one chance to live it. And you never get a redo. You never get a day over. You never even get a moment where you can go back and you made a bad decision. 
and you say, if I could just go back, I wouldn't have done that. And it happened just 10 seconds ago. And there's nothing you can do. Life is a very sobering thing if we put it in its proper perspective. One that our, our world has trivialized and caused us to make decisions in a very flippant fashion. But in view of death and in putting it in its proper place, you see what this text taught us in verse 15 is that people live their entire lives in bondage to something. And that bondage is the fear of death. Now let's delineate that and distinct, uh, make a distinction between a healthy respect for death and the finality of it, because I think it is wise for a Christian or for a non-Christian, we ought not to be flippant with death. We ought not to trivialize it and say, well, it really doesn't matter because your death would have effects upon a lot of people. And if it was happened prematurely, you could never understand the gravity of how many people's lives that it would affect, even if your own attitude towards it is, I'm ready to go. We ought to have a healthy respect for death. And yet at the same time, what the scripture is teaching us here is that people live in bondage to the fear of death. If any year in my life has taught me that, it's been the last year. Now again, I'm going to tread lightly here because I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't think we should be cavalier with what's gone on in the last year. I think we should love our neighbor and that we should protect our neighbor and do even things that in biblical times they did to keep other people safe when they were diagnosed with the disease. So I don't want to trivialize it. And yet at the same point, there is a sense to which we can see people who live in bondage to the fear of this disease. And everything about their life, and every moment by moment, what they're analyzing, the clearest, most important variable is, what if I die? The Bible does not want us to live in fear. Worst case scenario, right, is that we die. That's often how we're wired to think. And here, Jesus, or excuse me, Paul, the writer, is telling us that people live in this enslaved fear of death. When I was in this slave castle, we start up on the first floor, and it's really beautiful. It's right on the coast. In the big Atlantic Ocean, the, the, the waves just roar up against this castle, and there's, it's been staged to look just beautiful. And you go up to the, the second floor, and it's the living quarters of all the Portuguese who built it, and then the English after them that took it over, and big spacious rooms with ornate decorated furniture everywhere. And I would say that that's a good analogy for how often we live our lives. We're this big fortress that put forward a well-put-together demeanor. And yet, if you traveled to that first floor and you went up to the second one, you would have thought it was the most beautiful place, that the most distinguished things 
ought to happen there. Politicians, President Obama, when he was our president and his wife, Michelle, uh, they tracked their or her uh, family ancestors and learned that one of her ancestors came through that slave castle and they went and they toured the whole facility and dignitaries naturally would gravitate towards this place because of what it looks like on the top. But when you got down deep under the earth, what you learned and what you found was that it held the most despicable, depraved part that human nature has ever seen. Walked into a room, and it was a small, it was probably half the size of this room or less. And they said, this is the room where they would shove a hundred men would come into this room. And it was standing room only. And there was just one little place where a little natural light could come in. And we came in there and they shut the doors behind us. And I said oftentimes they would stay in this place for up to three months. That's how long they would be in this confined area without the ability to lay down. And as we were about to walk out, they said, I want you to look at the floor. And we looked at the floor. And they said, that's, I don't know what the right term would be, fossilized or crystallized, whatever it is. Feces and blood was just thick, inches and inches thick all throughout that floor. And we walked across the hallway and we saw another room and it was a very similar room, though smaller for the women. It was a place of fear, of horror, of death. And I think people were rightly terrified of that place. And that was the real place, you know? Everything above ground wasn't the real place of what caused that place to function. What really that place ran on was not the things from the ground level up. What caused that place to function was everything that took place underground. And I would argue that, again, that's a symbol for how often that we are. People often live in tremendous fear of death and tremendous fear of having anxiety and depression. And I believe there are many reasons for the reality of death that when we pause and we consider for a moment, death is a worthy adversary. If you stand apart from life in Christ, if you do not know God in the state that you're in, you have reason to live in great fear of death because the finality of it is real. Where a tree falls, so shall it lie. The nature of death that is unexpected. There are people in this room, I don't have any doubt, who have lost children, grandchildren, have seen the loss of kids five years old or seven years old or ten years old. Completely unexpected. Others of you here may have lost a spouse in the prime of life, living the American dream, and all of a sudden, something happens. Death is no respecter of persons. And the 
crushing blow that it is to our souls is real. Lost friend today, you have a reason to be afraid. What is it that's scary about death? First of all, it's the unknown, isn't it? Like even in Christians, isn't there a part of us that, what's it going to be like? Now, I always imagine in my mind, I think of my grandmother who passed away. The day before she passed away, all of her kids and grandkids were in a hospital room. We were all gathered around. Probably many of you have seen that played over numerous times in your life. And you're sitting there and we would go from singing songs and telling stories and laughing about things. And tears would run down our faces about different things. I imagine, though none of us have likely been in a situation like that, what it must have been like from her vantage point. Lying in a bed, knowing you're not coming out of this. What goes through your mind? What oftentimes the the curious thing with many people, as it was seemingly with Dear Sister Marisa this past week was that she was ready. And what a wonderful thing. But there's a great unknown. What is it going to be like the moment that it happens? Like that exact moment where one moment you're breathing in and you're breathing out and you're breathing in and you're breathing out and then all of a sudden it stops. I'll tell you this morning, I believe from the the truths of God's word that your consciousness is not lost. Oh, don't get me wrong. Your consciousness in your body is lost. But your awareness, you see, the Bible teaches us very clearly that we're not just comprised of a body with a brain that discerns things with our natural senses, but God has endowed us with a living spirit. And at the moment of death, what occurs is that your spirit is removed from the vehicle that it has carried around for so long. And so there's still a consciousness that you have at that moment when your body and your spirit are separated. And really, that's what death is. It is this great separation that takes place. And that's probably another reason why we're so, uh, that that we fear death so much, is that we think about death. And when I think about uh, my own death or the death of a family member or a friend, the natural reason why there's fear is because I am leaving all of you. There's a sense to which I love my life down here. I love my wife and my children. I I love all of you. I have a great group of friends and I I love life. I love going out and and, and doing things like this week, playing in the snow with my kids and doing various things. And there's a sense to which death is an ultimate end to that. No longer is anything that I enjoy down here and aware of down here that I know of there. At least not by experience that I know of. And so there's a sense to which I fear it because it's unknown. And I fear it because it separates me from everything else that I've ever known. Any familiarity, right? Isn't that a lot of us is what we're not afraid of is doing something, but it's doing something in an unfamiliar place, right? I can confess that preaching the gospel, you, get, you know, I get used to you all and you get used to me. And so I don't fear it as much. But if you put me in front of a group of people that I've never met before, suddenly that 
unfamiliar uh, relationships, I get afraid. I believe that's a lot of how death is, right? It's just unfamiliar. You know, another thing about death that is, I believe, invokes people to be in bondage to avoiding it is that it's individual. Like you experience it alone. I mean, you might die next to somebody, but the experience has gone through just you. I don't know about you. I can remember being in school and, you know, some of my buddies would look to do some troublemaking. And I was always okay to do troublemaking if I had somebody with me. If that one person was with me, then I felt very bold. Because the idea was, you know what, we might get in trouble, but at least I'm going to suffer with somebody. I look back, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But that was the mentality. There is a breathed courage that, that enlivens us, that gives us confidence to go and face the unfamiliar, to take a risk of some sort if I'm doing it with somebody else, that they'll yield the same consequences that I do. And yet death is fearful because we face it all by ourselves, And it's unknown and it's unfamiliar and it's me standing before God. You know, I think a lot of lost people, that's what they ought to fear the most. If you're lost this morning, let me tell you what death leads you to that is worthy of fear. And is what the Bible says is God's judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 10. Paul says this, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I cannot think of, of more terrifying words if you don't know God than the fact that you're going to stand before God in judgment. We're going to be judged, as he says in that verse, for things done in the flesh, whether they be good or whether they be evil. Can you think for a moment what that's like? In your mind's eye, just take a moment. Whatever circumstance you're in, your last breaths are being taken. And then all of a sudden, there is a new sense of awareness of some sort. Not like the sense of awareness that you have right now. And you're standing before God. You know, it sounds like this big gulf, doesn't it? Like, doesn't it sound like this future time for all of us? Like it's really, really far away and there's this big leap between all that I know now and what it'll be like then. But isn't that another thing that's so scary about death is that we're so feeble and frail that death is this thing that is not, it's not difficult to attain. You can drive home from church today and you might meet death. You might sit in the pew this morning and you might meet death. You don't even know that God is preparing you for that appointment. We don't know when it's going to be. And it can happen so quick. And then often people get to a place where there's nothing anybody can do for them. 
all the medical attention in the world, if God has appointed the time for you and I to go, that's the time that we're going to go. And there's nothing that anybody can do to prevent what God has ordained to come to pass. This morning, if you're here and you don't know God, you ought to be afraid of death. Because you're going to, at that moment, it can come at any moment. Listen, I, I don't believe in fear-mongering from the pulpit. I don't ever try to preach a sermon to get a reaction. I don't ever try to preach a sermon and say, I hope you're just shuddering in your boots and that you're going to run to the altar and seek after God. I'm just trying to present the truth of what the Bible teaches us. Furthermore, what's, what is self-evident to all of us today, all of the things that we've said is something we're all aware of about death. It's just that we put it out of sight and out of mind that we might function in life in, ill-concerned or not concerned about death so that we can live happy lives with the illusion that death is not real. But when death is real in, the, in a lost person's heart, when it is palpable, when it is upon the forefront of their mind, when the Spirit of God is brought to them, the reality of what death is, it is a captivating truth that disallows you from enjoying life like normal. And this morning, that's what's so important is that God's Spirit would do that because it is essential to find God that you would live in a place of reality and not the facade that our culture and Satan will help you to conceive in life, that death is some really far place away, that it happens to older people that you're not closely acquainted with or that you don't know, or even if you do, that there was some slow process where they passed away so that if you find yourself in the same occasion, you you too can be preparing your soul to meet God. But in reality, that's not necessarily how it works. Death comes when God has chosen for it to come for us. So what should we do? Look to the one who conquered it. You know, there is, there is a vulnerability that ought to be, I wish God's people, I wish all of us could see just how we are in God's hand. And there is nothing that anybody can do to us. There is nothing that we can do to ourselves that God does not permit to happen. We are safely tucked in his providence. Here in the scripture, it tells us there are some people that for a lifetime they're subject to the bondage of death. But then it tells us about this man named Jesus and how Jesus came to deliver us from the one who has power over death. I'm not going to explain what I think that means this morning because I don't know that I'm right in my assessment of it, but here's what I can tell you that I know for sure the Bible teaches and what I believe is reiterated in verse 14 that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, who was sent into the world, who died upon a cross, who rose again three days later, who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And what the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 15 is that he has the power over it. He has the keys to death, hell, and the grave, that he obliterated death by conquering sin in his flesh, and that he can give to us those keys that we can live with the knowledge that I will never die. 
This morning, if you have been saved by God's grace, there will be a separation of your spirit from your body, but your spirit, the moment that you die, will be found in the presence of God. And in that sense, we will have life in Christ perfectly and if we live according to the saints of old with spiritual minds and if you had your mind periodically changed from one time to another where you have been caught up in the spirit as a saint of God you can be eager to die have you ever been in that place where God was moving in your heart so richly where you felt his presence and death had completely and all the fears and all the obsession that we have with this world and the love that we have of our carnal lives, all those things dissipated and were put in their proper places and we were able to gaze to that heavenly place where our spirits will be perfectly fashioned after that man Jesus Christ and where we will fellowship with him in a way and fellowship with each other in a way that up to this point is completely unheard of, that all we have had is the earnest, the small payment, just a small sliver of what we've experienced down here, the greatest spiritual blessing that they experienced on Pentecost, the greatest revival that they might experience in Nineveh, those great days in our country on the East Coast when the Great Awakening was happening and hundreds of people were getting saved and communities were being transformed and people were completely changing everything about their lives. Those things pale in comparison to the beauty and the glory and the perfection and the fellowship that we're going to have with God for all of eternity. Suddenly, death is not something to fear. But as Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. See, Paul was coming to the end of his life. He was sitting there in prison in Philippi. And in verse 18 of that whole text, verses 14 through 18, you can say this. You can read it. He said, I'm glad that these things have fallen out for me, that I have been in bondage, that I have been enslaved, because it's only led to the furtherance of the gospel. He was celebrating in jail in a letter that he had been thrown into a dark dungeon of a prison. And the reason is that his mind had been transformed, that he was seeing death for what it really was from the view of a saint. He goes on and he says, you know, it's for me to live as Christ and die as gain, but it's better for you that I'm here for your sake. That's why God's left me here. You realize if you're a Christian this morning, the reason that why you're here is for everybody else's sake. It's not for your sake. It would be better for you. It would be better for God if you were with him in heaven, fellowshipping perf per perfectly, free from all sin. And yet, that's why it is so vital and important that as Christians, we don't walk around as other people walk around. Yes, with a healthy respect for death, but not enslaved to the fear of death. Not that the things which we're always making decisions about is this deep fear of death, but rather that we're putting our lives in the providential care of God and we're saying, God, I'm going to live my life according to the guidance of your Holy Spirit, trying to do my best to help my brothers and sisters and point more people towards Jesus Christ. That they too might find victory over not only death itself, but the fear that, that enslaves people throughout their entire lives over death. 
Here's what it said in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy. That word right there is the word inoperative, that he might make inoperative the fear of death. That's exactly what ought to happen when somebody gets saved. And I can testify to you this morning and say that if you're here and you're lost, when God saves your soul, there is a change that takes place and there are many effects to that change. But one of the effects to that change is that God through his Holy Spirit can make inoperative, can, make, can nullify the fear of death. Where you don't fear it, where you say like our dear sister Marisa, which has been upon my mind all week long, that she wanted to go on, that she wanted to be gone from, from this place because all this place had for her was suffering, but her eyes were upon a greater destination. She for a moment glimpsed death the way it ought to be. Something that we look to, and we don't fear, but we realize it's necessary to be with the Lord if you're saved today, it's a, it's a powerful testimony to live free from the fear of death. Isn't that what those three Hebrew children did in, in, in the book of Daniel chapter 3? Oh, they, they didn't, I don't believe they wanted to die. I don't want to die. I have a lot of things that I'd like to accomplish. I like a lot of things I'd like to do in life. And yet still I realize that I can hold that on one side of the balance and on the other side of the balance say, but Lord, if your will differs from that and through my death, as Paul said in Philippians chapter one, that it can lead to the furtherance of the gospel for you, so be it. Is that where your heart is with death this morning if you're a Christian? It's a powerful testimony when Christians do not live in the fear of death. When people get diagnosed with a fatal disease, you know what they do? They keep living life. They keep, actually what it oftentimes does is it sharpens their spiritual sensitivity. They get a six month deadline, they get a one year deadline, they get a two year deadline, and suddenly it sharpens their focus because now death is put right smack dab in the middle of their life and they begin to look at it and study it and ask God to open the realities to it and it changes them. This morning, there are two choices in life that this scripture leaves. And if you're hearing your loss today, I want to put these two choices before you. You can run to Jesus and he can make inoperative in your heart the fear of death. Or you can live with the fear of death the rest of your life. It is one of those two things. You know, there are some people that try a third option. And here's what they do. They try to so distract themselves from it. They try to so escape from its existence that they just never think about it. That's like someone who just numbs themselves. They numbed a part of their body. You know, there's, there, I heard about a lady one time who had a, had a sickness like that where she couldn't feel pain. And everybody, the initial thought is, well, that's awesome. And she said, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Because being able to feel pain protects me. How do you know when you're getting sunburned if you can't feel pain? How do you know you've been out in the cold too long if you can't feel pain? How do you know the hot water is not too hot and it's going to hurt you unless you can feel pain? You know, there's a lot of people in this life, they have nullified themselves to death. They have done everything in their power to dilute its reality. And as a result, 
they're walking around hurting themselves and hurting a lot of other people by casting it so far in the corner. This morning, listen, if you have death in its proper perspective and you evaluate it properly and God reveals to you the right way what death is, you can live one of two ways. You can live as a saint, free from the fear of it, or you're going to live in bondage the rest of your life. And this morning, what God offers in verse 14 is that he can destroy in your life the fear of death. That's our message this morning. My prayer today, if you're here and you're lost, I'd like to have a song, Sister Ashley, if you could. If you're here and you're lost this morning, listen, that's a, that's a real change. Like this isn't just something that happens in your head. Like I'm saying you can really have that whole change inside of you where you begin to function free of fear. That is a real significant change. That's what a lot of people in this world need, you know? I don't believe had most of our country been saved by God's grace that we'd been walking around and listening to so much fear-mongering like we have the past year. My prayer this morning, if you're here, I want to encourage you today. There's a front pew up here. I want to encourage you to come pray if you don't know the Lord. Say this many times. There's no virtue in this bench up here. I realize that. Whenever I was lost, I felt like I needed to come to this bench. And here's the reason why. It took humility for me to come up to that bench. I'm just talking to me. You may not be this way, and that's perfectly fine. I had a friend got saved back in the the baby room at the church that I got saved in. There's no virtue in this bench, I realize that, but there's virtue in the humility it takes to get up in front of people and walk forward and bow at the altar and say, I have a need of God. And I can remember that walk of shame so often that I wanted God and people were looking at, and I felt that way. I felt like it was a walk. It's not a walk of shame. Actually, I would say it's quite the opposite. It's an admirable thing, not only but before the eyes of the world, but also before the eyes of God, that people in humility would say, I need God and I don't care what people are doing and I don't care if people look at me. I need God. This morning, this altar is open. If you need to come pray, if you pray at your seat, It's irrelevant. But whatever you do, pray with a humble heart that God would remove the fear of death from you today. That's our message this morning. Let's all stand and sing. Sister Ashley.